The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. In your study that was done, studying the importance of a mother's role in the world and the value of it, so all these philosophers and rocket scientists came together and they spent five years doing a study. And they came to a conclusion that the worth of the mother is priceless. And the reason for that is, they said, because if it wasn't for the mothers, none of us would be here. Isn't that the truth? Now, on this Mother's Day, I actually want to speak to the husband, to the fathers, on what a husband is to be to his wife if he really wants to be and ought to be what God wants him to be, and what he should be on this Mother's Day. Now, husbands and fathers... God did the good thing for you when he gave you a wife. You know that? The Word of God says in Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Let me say that again. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Fellas, that's a good place for a man over there, you know. He's sitting here like a bump on a log, like, you know, reach out, squeeze her little thing. You're like, what's wrong with you? Trying to get in that mood, you know, sitting there like, hmm? Now listen, all of us should have said amen, right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And you don't have to get married. Now, God's plan is not for everyone to get married. And God talks about the sanctity of a single life. And he talks about the marvels and wonder of the married life as well. And if you're single, perhaps you might have a gift of singleness. I don't know. That's fine. Don't think this message is not going to be for you because if you listen with your spiritual ears, you're going to find out what I'm telling to the husbands how to love their wives is how the Lord God loves you and how he loves the church himself, how he loves you. And there's a spiritual blessing here for, for all of us, wherever you're married, whenever you're single or widowed or you're planning to get married, whatever your situation is. And I want you to listen because there is a lesson here for everyone. So take God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 22. We're going to go all the way through 33. So follow along. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. For he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does for the church. For we are members of the body of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall cleave to his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. And verse 33, Nevertheless, 
Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, every time we go to Ephesians chapter 5, a lot of women say, oh, he's going to be talking about submission again. Some women say, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that, I don't like that, and I argue against it, I don't accept it, I refuse to, and so forth. Modern culture is different than than what was back then, but let me ask you a question. You decided this? What's going to be your authority? The Word of God, what God says, or what the culture says? Because God's voice is above all this noise that's going on here. What's your source? God is the one who designed the family. He has put together a husband and wife in marriage with children and family. And God gives us an instruction manual, the Bible. So oftentimes, ladies don't like this word, submission. But I'll say this. I agree with you. Because most of the time, and at least the sermons I've heard too, this has been taken out of context. It's been taken out of context and a lot of times explained in the wrong way. Again, remember, as we talk about the Let's Talk Church series, you can go to the very left, you can go to the very right, and a lot of times when preachers talk about submission, they go to the very right, right? It's almost like the wife is there to be your servant. Well, that's not particularly correct because even if you take that out of context, if you go up a little bit to previously what Paul was talking about, if you read Ephesians 5, 20, 21, says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So folks, we need to understand there's mutual submission. And then he goes on explaining the rest of the verses which we just read. And ladies might not like verses 22 to 24 talks about submission. But I want to tell you guys that Ephesians chapter 5 and the rest of the verses are really much tougher on the men than they are on the woman, if rightly interpreted. Take verse 25, for example. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. We're like, yeah. And we don't read the rest. It says, as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her. Husbands, listen, love does not mean affection. Now, too many husbands think they're fulfilling their position and so forth because they're just showing affection towards their wife. That's not what this word here means. It will lead to affection, but it's the same word, remember, in our love series, the agape love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so we can be saved. So that love, agape love, but it also it leads to that affection. Now, Paul was a great teacher, of course, and by the Holy Spirit inspired the words of Paul. He says, husbands, I'm going to tell you how to love your wives. And you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Isn't that a beautiful object lesson for us? What a wonderful way to teach. And the, what I want to look at today is how to be a spirit-filled husband 
And you're going to see some things here. I just picked out three. I want to talk about first your position in the family, his position, your pattern, his pattern, and your practice. Well, the position the husband has is headship. If you look at verse 22 and 23, it says, Wife, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Now, what sometimes you hear Paul or pastors call this a chain of command. Has anyone heard that? Anyone heard that before? Ladies, raise your hand. Right? It's okay. But the chain of command is not exactly the best way to describe this. What he's really talking about here is a chain of responsibility. Chain of responsibility. You see, Eve had failed... And God did not primarily blame Eve. God blamed Adam for Eve's failure because men are to assume responsibility. That's your position. In Genesis 3, 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He's saying, Adam, where are you at? Man, I built this beautiful garden, all these trees, all these bushes. I can't find Adam. Is that what God's saying? Is that the question here? It's not a question of location, folks. It's a question of position. Because Adam abandoned his role. Adam abandoned his calling. He abandoned his position. Not too long ago, I also read from Ezekiel 22:30, where it says, So I thought for a man among them who would take, who would make a wall and stand up in the gap before me in behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Is there no males? God can't find males? He says, I can't find a man, stand a gap? No, he says, I can't find a man responsible, who takes responsibility. So it doesn't mean, husbands, that we exist and have wives to have our needs met. It means the complete opposite. It means you're the head, you exist to meet needs. Husbands, we cannot escape this responsibility. And the problem today, many people, many husbands want headship without the responsibility. When it's told your wife is to be subject to you, it means she's to look to you. It doesn't mean she's there to be your servant, but she's there to have those basic needs met by you. And the fact that someone that submits to you or they report to you, let's say at work, you have a responsibility of taking care of them. Also, wives need to understand that submission does not mean inferiority. And the devil will tell that. He says that lie all the time, but that's the lie straight out of hell. That does not mean anything like that. Let me show you an illustration. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, and being in the form of God... This is talking about Jesus. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then in verse 9, the Bible says, Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, so Jesus took the low way, and God exalted him. 
devil took the highway and he brought him down and he will bring him down to the very pit. What I'm trying to say here, we are never more like Jesus when we have a submissive spirit. We're never more like the devil when we have a rebellious spirit. And submission is not inferiority. Remember when Jesus, I'm not going to point out particular passages, but you all know them uh, because Jesus was accused of these because he was claiming to be God and so forth. But a number of times Jesus said, me and Father are one, right? He also said, who's seen me have seen the Father, right? But look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Did you get that last part? The head of Christ is God. Let me ask you a question then. Now, if the Father is the head of Christ, the Son, does that mean Christ the Son is inferior to the God the Father? Not at all. That would be blasphemy, actually, distortion of the basic Christian doctrine that we have. There's no inferiority in the Godhead. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ is submissive to the eternal Father. So a woman is not at all inferior to man when she's in submission to man. Christian submission is just plainly an equal, voluntarily placing him or herself under another equal. And for what reason? That the Jesus Christ may be glorified. That's all it is. And so many times we talk about also husbands and wives as a partnership. But partnership is not the best way to describe that either. I don't think family with husbands and wife as partners. When you have a partnership, you don't really have a head. Your position is still the headship. You know, you take votes and so forth, maybe some decisions you do, I don't know, like where to go on vacation or something. But that's not the best way to describe that either. What a husband and wife are more like, any analogy that I could think of or use, is is a team. The husband and wife are a team. And I know most of you like football, right? So I try to use a football analogy here. Now, football team has a quarterback. We got Tom Brady over here. That quarterback directs the team, doesn't he? He directs the team. Who says to the quarterback to call plays? Who says the quarterback is going to call the plays? Well, the coach does, right? The coach does. Says the quarterback, still call the plays. Does that mean the quarterback is the best athlete on the team? No, not necessarily so. There's other people that can probably run faster than the quarterback, have more agility. But for some reason, the quarterback is still to call the play, simply because the coach said so. Does that mean husband is superior to the wife? No. It just means he's the quarterback because the coach said so. That's it, because it's teamwork. And that doesn't mean that she's less competent or more competent than his wife. My wife is more competent than I am in a lot of areas. I just have to admit it. And some things that she does, I can't do. But in some areas, she's more competent than I am. For example, my wife is the cook in the family. 
the kitchen is her area. Why? Because she's a woman, she belongs in the kitchen? Absolutely. No, I'm kidding. The reason is because we don't want to die for my cooking. That's the reason. You know, my house growing up, it was kind of opposite. My dad's the cook. He still is. Why is he the cook? Because we don't want to die for my mom's cook. No. No, because he's better at it. He loves doing it. You know, sometimes she'll tell me to peel potatoes, tomatoes, or whatever she wants me to do. I'll do them, but mostly she just tells me to get out of her way. And she takes care of some details that will be difficult for me to take care of. But God the coach still says, you are called to play. Now, the quarterback would call to play, and they sometimes would come in the huddle, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they come in the huddle? And sometimes they might be a receiver that can say, hey, this guy is slow. I can put him out or give me the ball. Somebody else says, I can do this, I can do that. And the quarterback has to listen to all those things And based on those things, he has to make a call. He has to make a play. Otherwise, or sometimes the coach just from the sideline can call in the play, and that's it. He just has to do what the coach says. And folks, it's better for everybody as a family unit to be going in one direction after everybody has come together, after everybody has come together. Now, husband may delegate authority You may delegate things, but you can't delegate your responsibility. You're still responsibility. You cannot escape responsibility. And folks, husbands, we should not demand his headship. You know why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ does not demand his headship. Did you know if the Lord Jesus Christ does not, he does not force his lordship on you. When I come and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I accepted him as Lord and Savior. And he's my Lord. But not because he's pushing it on me. He doesn't do it. And I think if he pushed it on us, maybe it would be a little bit better, but he doesn't. And we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Would you want a wife that's just a mechanical, I just have to love him and that's it? I wouldn't. That's why he doesn't force his lordship on you. So if you're a husband, you're having difficulty assuming headship in your home, folks, I'll tell you this. Don't head for trust. Head for respect. Let her respect you as a man of God, as a loving person. And I'll tell you, trust will come automatically. Now, let me go back to this quarterback analogy so you know what I'm talking about. Suppose a quarterback calls a good play. Tom Brady, another one of those passes, they catch it. Who gets the praise? The whole team gets the praise, right? They're all excited and they're moving forward. But suppose a quarterback calls a bad play and the team loses. Who gets the blame? Tom Brady. Tom Brady, the quarterback. You see, it's a safety net for the woman to respect the headship of the husband. He may delegate authority, but he cannot delegate responsibility. So we cannot sidestep our responsibility. So first, your position is assumption of your responsibility. So the pattern, I don't want to speak speak too much of it because we spoke on this in the uh, Love Like Jesus series. We talked about the pattern of love. But I just want to point out a couple of things here. What, 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 how is 
you're supposed to be the head of your home. What is the pattern of your follow? Well, if you look at verse 23 again, it says, as also Christ is head of the church. You're to love your wife as also Christ is the head of the church. That's, how, is, how is Christ the head of the church? How is he the head of the church? You're to be a head of your house. And at times people get stuck on that verse, the wife submit to your husband and they go on and elaborating all these things. But then they just skip through the rest. Now, folks, if you're married or you're planning to get married or you've been married for a long time, when you're reading this, don't just skip over it. Let, let these things kind of process in your mind. Don't just wink at it. Have you ever thought about how God loves his bride, the church? And that's what a lot of pastors don't understand. They're just, you know, preaching whatever from the pulpit and so forth. This is his bride. Husbands, wouldn't you be mad if you entrusted your wife to your best friend or somebody and you said, hey, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back, take care of my wife for me in the meantime, and you come back and she's dressed as a prostitute and so forth, wouldn't you be a little mad? Why? Because what did he do for his bride? How much is he loving his bride? He gave himself up for the church, and not only he gave himself up for the church, but he gave the church great responsibility evangelizing the world. So in the same way, how Christ right now is depending on the church, on us, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to evangelize the world, evangelize our families, evangelize our neighborhood, he's delegated that authority to us, but we're going to be held accountable for how we do it. So how he's dependable on us, husbands, you shall also be dependable on your wife. Listen to your wife. You may have some good ideas, better than yours, guarantee it. So that's how you are to be. Your pattern is Christ, not a top-shot surgeon or some kind of tyrant. Now we're getting to the meat of the message. I want to talk about your practice, his practice. Husbands is the position as the head of the family, speaks of his responsibility. His pattern is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about the practice. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, if you're a husband, underline that, highlight that, put a star next to it, because this is not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command, and it's very clear. It's a single command. It says, husbands, love your wives. But there's no command for you to take authority over your wife. You know, sometimes they hear husbands after the honeymoon period is over, I can't love her. Well, folks, don't tell me you can't love her because God says here, husbands love your wives. He gave a command. And what kind of command would God give if I wasn't able to see it through? You see, behind every command that God gives, there's his power to see it through. If God told me, Cornet, jump over Grace Fellowship Church, I wouldn't be able to do it. I can't jump over the Grace Fellowship Church. But if God, I'm just using that as an analogy, come on. But if God told me to do that, I would be able to do it because his power is behind me. So behind every 
command in the Bible. There's the power of God to carry out that command. So if we are to love our wives, but again, we're not talking about necessarily a romantic love. It's Christ-like love. It's that agape love we all talked about. So let's think of a few moments how Christ loves the church. And again, if you're not even married, you can see how the Lord Jesus Christ loves you because he loves the church in the same way. First of all, if you look again in Ephesians 5.25, we are to love her selflessly. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. You are to love her selflessly. And a lot of times, people get married, the husbands no longer understand they're no longer single. You know, they still have those tendency of a single guy. You think before, you need to think about that before you get married. You're no longer single. You can't make decisions on your own on the basis on what you want to do. You have to take your wife into consideration. Let her share in every decision. And you always consider her when making decisions. In Philippians 2, 8, it says, And being found in appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. For what? For who? For church. For us. We're the church. We're the bride. So we are loved to selflessly. But not also here it talks about selflessly. It talks about sacrificial kind of love. In Ephesians 5.25, again, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself for her. That means he died for the church, as we just read. Jesus sacrificed, and his sacrifice was based on what? Because we're so good-looking? No, based on his grace. Jesus loves and saves us because it is his character to be gracious. In Romans 5, 7, and 8, we read, So for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when I was all dirty and ugly and within sin and defiled, he still loved me and made that sacrifice. He gave himself. So a spirit-filled husband loves his wife, not for what she can do for him, but what he can do for her. And folks, again, love is always a verb. It's always an action. Love is something you do. Love is a decision. You decide to love your wife. You decide to love your children. It's a conscious decision, sacrificial love. Jesus loved the church. Jesus loved the sinners. He loved you, me, and he is willing to sacrifice his very own life on the cross and how much he loves us. That's how we're supposed to love our wives. You know, I was reading one of the Greek histories and the wife of one of the generals of Cyrus, he was a ruler of Persia, was accused of treachery and was condemned to die. And her husband didn't know this was taking place and as soon as he heard about it, he rushed and burst into the throne room and said, Lord Cyrus, take my life instead of hers. Let me die in her place. And folks, if you know something about Cyrus, he was an extremely sensitive man, and he was touched by this story. And one of the historians records says, love like that must not be spoiled by death, and he gave his wife back to the husband. 
And as the husband and wife were walking away, he says, did you notice how kindly the king looked at us when he gave you a pardon? And the wife replied, I had no eyes for the king. I only saw a man who was willing to die in my place. Now, husbands, do you love your wives that way? That's a picture of the Holy Spirit paints for us in this Greek chapter of Ephesians. Husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. Now, in fairness to the husbands, most of us will never have a chance to put love to that ultimate test, right? But we do have countless lesser ways to show our love daily, don't we? One wife rightfully told her husband, she said, Dear, I know you're willing to die for me. You told me lots of times. You tell me many things that you're willing to die for me. But while you're waiting to die, could you just fill some of that time, help me dry the dishes? There's other ways. And we have the wrong idea. Get my slippers, right? Serve me. Do all this for me. The husband who loves his wife like that really loves his wife as the world loves and not as Christ loves the church. And folks, husbands, I've really, you know, today I'm really preaching to myself, not just to husbands out there. But have you thought about that? Are you ready to die for your wife? Well, I don't have to die for her. Well, you, you do. That's how Christ loved the church. So he loved us selfishly. We love sacrificially. And then moves on sanctifyingly. Sanctify. In Ephesians 5, 26, verses through 28, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or such thing, but they should be, she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love, love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. Sanctify, what does that mean? To present herself without blemish. It means, husbands, you are to be the spiritual leader in your home, not the wife. You know, somehow we got down the line, we get the idea that women are supposed to be more holier than men. But I think, in my opinion, God demands and looks for more holiness and more spirituality he does in men than he does in women. You ought to be a holy, holy man in your family. God demands purity out of men. And we're to be prophets, priests, and pastors in our home, lead our families. You know, there's a similar expression Paul wrote, not just to the Ephesians, but also to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 and 3 says, For I am jealous for you, godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Well, Paul is concerned about the Corinthians. They're defecting to heresy. They're getting the wrong theology. He wanted to provide them pure, clean. He wanted to provide that church, present that church to Christ. But he says, I'm afraid just like Eve was deceived by the serpent, some of you are your minds are getting corrupted because it's so simplistic. You're adding things on. 
but he wants to present the church to Christ as a pure virgin. And the same principle needs to be followed in your marriage. Don't expose your partner to the things that are impure, doctrinally and theologically wrong. You're the protector of your wife's purity. Your job is to present her, make her more a beautiful Christian than she already is. You need to have that decision in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, as Joshua did in 24.15, says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's it. Now, let's take Adam and Eve, for example. I'm sure Eve brought Adam different kinds of fruit before, right? I'm sure it's not the first time she brought him some fruit to eat. But here comes Eve with this fruit. And she gives it to Adam and says, honey, this is our new agenda for the house. You're going to eat this fruit. Adam looks at it and says, oh, it's the fruit that God told us not to eat. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's eat it. And one of the reasons there's so much problems in marriages and families, because that's the attitude. We don't see Adam saying, baby Eve. I'm sure Eve was beautiful. I mean, the first woman God created Baby, I don't, you've done some wrong things. I'm not going to eat that fruit. But we've got to go to the Lord Father and discuss this, what, what happened. That's what a husband does. But Adam abandoned his responsibility and just went along with it, and then he just hid. Do you see that? But I wonder sometimes if Adam really did that. What if he went and said, No. I'm sure if he had that courage, he would have said, Lord, I don't know if you're going to give me another wife or you're going to start over, but if you're going to erase Eve, you're going to have to erase me. Because I love that woman, because Adam said she's the flesh of my flesh, right? She's from his rib. She was made from the rib on the side next to the heart. Now, husbands, let me ask you this. Does wife, your wife in the household, puts all the children together to go to church? She's the one like, hey, are we going to go to church? You're going to church? Is she doing all the, uh, you know, prayers with the kids? Is she doing that? Well, you're abandoning your responsibility. And it's your job and the duty as a husband to make your wife, your family, radiantly beautiful Christians. And that's what Christ Jesus is doing with the church. Look at verses 26, 27. Why is he doing that? That he may sanctify and cleanse her and wash in water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she be holy without blemish. That's what God is doing to the church. And that's what you should be doing in your families. It's our job to help our wives, to help our children, to help them grow spiritually. power went out. Technology, you love it, but then you also don't like it at the same time. Try to save on trees and this is what I get, right? Instead of having old notes. So it is our job to present her without spiritual spots. But husbands, let me ask you this. How are you going to do that 
if you're not right with God. If you're not studying the God's word or obeying God's word, how are you going to do that? You can't. But we are to lead our families, intercede for the wife, lead your wife, and protect her spiritually. That's how we need to be spirit-filled husbands. And then also, we need to love her satisfyingly, caring, selflessly. Ephesians 28, 29 says, So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. That's very interesting to me. I mean, has any husband looked at his hand and said, oh, I just, I just hate that hand. Maybe you said, maybe I want a stronger arm or something, but you never said, I, oh, that's just pitiful. Look at that elbow. No man ever hated his own flesh. You may hate the way he looks. But what do we do with our own bodies? Nourishes it? cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So let me ask you a question. How are you caring for the body, your body? Whose teeth did you brush this morning? Whose hair did you comb? Whose body did you close? You take care of yourself, right? That's a given. So he's not saying learn to take care of yourself and maybe some of us husbands need to do a better job doing that, but he says you need to take care of your wife as you do of your own body. When you get thirsty, don't you get a drink of water? Right? You want to satisfy that thirst? When you get hungry, don't you try to eat? Of course you try to eat. When you get tired, don't you say, I'm going to take a nap? When your body is wounded, you need to clean up that wound, put a bandage on it, right? When you have something that's hurting, you need to heal that hurt. You're trying to accomplish it as fast as you can, and you probably run to your wife like, oh, right? Looking for that healing. You love your body, so when your body has a need, whatever it is, you want that need satisfied as quickly as possible. And that is you should be interested in seeing that her needs are met as you are seeing the needs of your own body are met. And folks, we have to work at this, meeting her needs. And we fail, husbands. Have anybody seen this? You know, the more I study the Scripture, have you ever viewed your wife as your own body? Your own body. And Ephesians 5.30 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So just as... We are members of Jesus' body, Jesus' flesh, and Jesus' bones. Our wives are members of our flesh. And in 529, he says again, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So if you hate your own body, and you don't take care of your body, there's something wrong with you, right? You become sick. And if you don't care of your marriage or your wife, your marriage becomes sick. So husbands really need to be, if you want to be good to yourself, love your wife. We are to love our wives as we love ourselves. And you see, when she receives a blessing, 
you receive a blessing, right? Any blessing that comes to her really also comes to you. And in order to satisfy her, we have to know what her needs are, don't we? In order to know what her needs are, what do we have to do? Number one on every husband's list, listen, right? Listen. One man was complaining about his wife to his friend, said all she does is just talk, 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 talk. Says, well, what did she talk about? Said, I don't know. She didn't say. And I can tell you from personal experience, one of the things that wives say all the time, you don't listen to me, you don't understand me, you don't hear what I'm saying, on the new one, you don't know what my love language is. I'm like, i got to learn the new language now too? You don't know what I'm thinking, but we work hard on it. I don't think we will ever attain success. And any man that says that he understands women, just run for him, he's a liar. A man was walking on the beach in Hawaii, and he found a genie lamp. Scratched it. Genie comes out. It's like, thanks for setting me free. Let me give you one wish. He says, all right. I'm afraid of flying, so I want you to build me a highway all the way from Hawaii to California. The genie says, look, it's too far. The ocean's pretty deep. It's a hard wish. Even if I can get it, it's probably going to fall apart. Pick anything, anything other than that, though. The man thought about it for a while, said, all right. I wish I could understand women. The genie looked at him, shaked his hand, and said, do you want that to be a two-lane highway or a four-lane highway? How do you know what the beads of your body are? You have a nervous system. Little sensors in your body that cry out, I'm thirsty, just like I took a thirst. Right? My tongue is sticking to my top of my mouth. I'm thirsty, I need to rest, and so forth. We need to have those spiritual sensitivity, develop that sensitivity that you can hear and feel and understand what the needs of your wife are. And folks, husbands, it's our responsibility to provide for your wife, the physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual nourishment that she needs to grow. Some of you are looking at me like, man, I wish you just stuck to the submit your wife's sermon, right? But folks, we, we sometimes we're clueless. Husbands, we don't pay attention. I heard a woman, she was so depressed. She was in a depressed state, and nobody could bring her out of it. So the husband took her to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is talking to her and so forth, no response. So he gets up from his table. He walks over. He just gives her a big hug, holds her tight, and kisses her on the forehead. And all of a sudden, the light came on her head. She smiled. Your eyes opened up. The psychiatrist looks at the husband and says, See, this is all she needs every day of the week. The husband looks at the psychiatrist and says, Doc, I can bring her six days out of the week, but I'm busy on Wednesdays. We're so clueless sometimes to those things. I'm guilty of it. We're to care for our wife, make sure that she's satisfied. Next, I want to talk about you are to love her supremely. And what I mean by that, look in verses 30, 31. 
For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now watch this, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What does that tell us? That tells us that of all human relationships, all human relationships, the relationship of a husband and wife is uniquely supreme relationship. Do you know why? Because it's not said of any other relationship that they too become one flesh. So therefore, our relationship with our wife should be deeper than your best friend or anybody else, more supremely unique than any other human relationship. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now, folks, I love my mother and I love my father and thank God for those folks and everything they've done for me in my life. But my relationship with my wife to Katrina is deeper relationship than my own mother and my own father. I leave father and mother and I cleave on to my wife. It doesn't mean I no longer love my parents. I do doesn't mean I no longer honor and respect my dad. I do. But that relationship with my wife is greater and deeper and fuller relationship than any human relationship. And part of the problem is sometimes men have daddy issues. They have mother issues. And they cling on to that. Parents get involved. But you have to realize They're a new family unit. You're one. You're cleaving to your wife. Any decisions you make, you should be making together. So you have to have that deeper relationship, fuller relationship. It must be. Because that's the kind of relationship Christ has with the church. When we get saved, we become one flesh with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get married, you become one flesh with your husband and wife. As far as all human earthly relationship, your wife's number one. Spiritually, she's number two. That's the way she should be. God should be number one because you can't love her the way you need to love her if you don't have God, number one. So as, as far as your human relationship, she's number one. And husbands, fathers, the best thing if you may be a husband and don't have kids yet, Sometimes I know my advice is not much, but I've been married for 20 years, and the best thing you can do for your family is love your mother. Love the mother of the kids. Love your wife. It doesn't make them insecure or anything like that because they need the love, but it takes you where you need to be in your relationship with God and where you should be as a husband. Love your wife. And again, we can't really love the wife until you love God as you ought to love God. So there's that supreme relationship. And lastly, you need to love her steadfastly. You know, in that verse 31, if we look at it again, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Joined unto his wife, they become one flesh. 
But then in Matthew 19, 6, it says, so then there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Therefore, in Mark 10, 19, it says, therefore, God has joined together, let no man separate. And sometimes people think like, hey, this is my marriage. Don't let that man separate. No, that includes you. That includes you, husband. Don't separate. Marriage is for keeps. Divorce is a tragedy, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of marriages today start as ideal, then it turns into an ordeal, and then they're looking for a new deal. It's a tragedy. And people go into marriage just thinking, if it don't work out, we'll just get a divorce. But that's not how Christ loved the church. Look at his love in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor death, nor other created things shall be separate us, that is the church, the people of God, from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the same way you love your wife. There's no love other than Christ's love for the church. And people get married, well, it don't work out, we can get a divorce. Throw that out of your head. Throw that out of your you know, if you get on an airplane, throw away the parachute. There's, there's no way. Marriage is for keeps. You got to love them till the end. You know, the disciples were all imperfect. Jesus knew about this, and he knew Judas was going to betray them. He knew they were all going to run away at the, and so forth. But remember when we talked to love serious in John 13, 31, he loved them till the end. Now, therefore, the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How are you going to do that? How are you going to have that kind of love for your wife, as you should? How are you going to fulfill this, husbands? How is the mutual submission going to work? Well, I'll tell you, it's not in human strength. It's not in me. It's not in you. We don't have what it takes. And there's not a two-legged man on this earth that has the power to love his wife as he should, as we described here. So sometimes when I read this, when I was studying, you know, it makes me feel kind of inadequate. It reminds me of the cows were out in the field and they saw a milk truck go past and on the side of the truck it said, you know, Grade A, pasteurized, vitamin D enriched, sanitized. And the cow looked at the other one and says, kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? It really does. When you look at this, for see what God demands of us, says, I can't do it. I can't do that. And you're right. Because, again, we can't take things out of context. If it goes back to verse 18, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. How can you be a submissive wife? Be filled with the Spirit. How can you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Be filled with the Spirit. And in order to have that love of Jesus, you must first, folks, be saved. You must be Spirit-filled. You must come under the authority and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? You must do that. And folks, you cannot exercise authority unless you are under authority. You can't. 
means man's going to have to exercise his leadership. He must understand the Bible principle of lordship. You must understand that. It's the man's responsibility to yield himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That should be the goal of every husband. And fathers, Christ commands us to love your wife. And that is to be taken very, very seriously. You know, sometimes we pray and so forth and we don't get our answers. Have you ever thought about, because in 1 Peter 3, 7, says, husbands likewise dwell with them, understanding, giving honor to your wife as the weaker vessel being heirs together, grace of life. Why? Why should I love my wife as Christ loved the church? That your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not loving your wife the way you ought to, but then you're praying for your kids to get saved, I don't know about that. But here it says your prayers may be hindered. They might not be heard. You're going to dial up Jesus on the main line and you get a busy signal. Dial again and you get a busy signal. Why? Because you're not seeing what's in front of you. And the only way you can accomplish this kind of love for your wife is to be born again, be filled with the Spirit. And there's no other way for us to build our homes and families than to be Spirit-filled. And Psalm 127 one says, unless the Lord builds the house... You labor in vain. Who build it? Now, husband, your greatest motive for loving, purifying, sacrificially, and protecting and caring for your wife is Christ's love for purifying, protecting, and caring for his own bride, the church. Christian marriage is to be a loving, holy, pure, self-sacrificing, mutually submissive, because... Those virtues characterize the relationship of Christ Jesus and the church. And let me look at the last two verses. In 32, 33, it says, The great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. And then he says, Nevertheless, let one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, use of nevertheless here is intended to end the discussion and to emphasize, emphasize what he's already said, what's most essential to remember. And he says, let each of you in particular love his own wife as is himself. And the second part, important part is wife see that she respects her husband. And when a Christian husband and wife walk in the power of the Spirit, yield to his word, there's blessings. They're mutually submissive. And it will bring happiness to your families, bring happiness to your children, and your house will be blessed. Now, we're going to end in prayer here, but after we close, after I end in prayer, I want you to remain seated for a moment, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity which the Word speaks to us, and again, on this subject in which seems to be so much chaos and confusion and talking about submission and so forth. And Father, let us remember on this Mother's Day that we are to love our wives, our mothers, as Christ loved the church, because that's what you command us to do. Help us to be humble and humble ourselves to follow the pattern of the Holy Scriptures here as we ought to in our marriages. And Father, I pray that you heal those marriages that are not being submissive to each other, they're not loving each other, they're not respecting each other. 
humble themselves and that they're seeking the benefit of another, not themselves, and sacrifice for each other. We pray, Lord, that you work in those relationships. And as we leave this place today, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Now, mothers, stepmothers, grandmothers, mothers-to-be, would you please stand up? We have some youth. They have a little token of appreciation for you guys before you get home. Anytime now, because youth is very punctual, as you can see. And you guys, every lady that's standing up as a mother, give her a gift bag. Come on. Once you receive your gift bag, you may sit down for just a moment. Stella. Everyone who's standing still, we have a couple of mothers over here. Once you receive your bag, you can sit down so they can see who's receiving one. All right, I believe that's everybody. Now, mothers, will you stand up one last time? Mothers, come on. It's okay. Let's give a hand to our mothers on this Mother's Day. Thank you for all you do. God bless. You are dismissed.